The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. And this time we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Dream Theater's Images and Words. Chris, how are you, my friend? Feeling old. Feeling old. Yeah, <laughs> I was good. This was like, for many reasons, which I'll get into, this was like a shot in the arm for me just because I, I couldn't believe, I, you know, we kind of grew up with this album, albeit you know, after it had come out, but I just can't believe that it's been, you know, 30 years since this, this was released, but we will get there. We will get there in time. Um, I feel like so much stuff has come out this week and, and there's so many different things that I want to mention. Um, but before I do anything that you heard this week or any new singles that you, uh, particularly enjoyed? Yeah. Um, I, I've been trying to do a better job at listening to stuff and, uh, I, I, there's a, um, there's this band called sky blazer that's out of uh, Sweden. I mentioned them. Um, I think I gave them my EP of the year last year. Um, they had a, a cool four track EP. I don't even know why I say they, I think it's just this one guy, Johannes who does everything um, super talented uh, piano player. And he came out with a new single called morning star, which is kind of like a love letter to the Castlevania soundtracks of old uh, really good stuff. If you're into power quest or majestica, uh, I, I know those two, two bands are a big influence for him. So if you like them, you'll like that. And uh, Avantasia also released their second single from their upcoming album, Deep Breath, A Paranormal Evening with the Moonflower Society. And the track is called The Moonflower Society. And this is uh, a little less aggressive than the previous single. This one features Bob Catley, um, which is always always good to hear Bob Catley on um, the Avantasia uh, albums and uh i had posted earlier in the week that the uh, master sword covering come sail away by sticks which i thought was really cool um lily the singer from uh, master sword did a duet with her dad um and i thought it came out really cool so we had posted that um already so you could find that and i guess the one other thing i wanted to mention was something that you had sent to me that i absolutely love and it's um this uh this song from the michael schenker group uh, a King Has Gone with Michael Kisk on vocals. Really catchy tune, and, and uh, you know, I'm always happy to hear Kisk sing. So um, you can find that on both of our most recent playlists, which we should be uploading or, or posting on uh, Spotify fairly soon. Um, and, and I just wanted to echo your sentiments on that uh, that fellowship track, Oak and Ash. What a kick-ass song. Um that's on my latest playlist as well. And speaking, uh, you're, I think you were going to mention um, Annette Olsen. And just, uh, I guess I'll bridge my, my info with your info. And uh, there, I guess there's an album that came out in Japan uh, by a band called Ultima Grace. 
that she does the vocals on with the, I believe the, the keyboard player from, uh, Galnerius. Um, and, uh, I guess that that's going to be released in the, uh, state side in September. Uh, they just released the new single today, getting on with life. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but, um, I look forward to it. I think that's a cool, uh, combination there. I think it's all Japanese band members with Annette, uh, doing the vocals. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite a lot. Um, I know you have a bunch of stuff too. So uh, why don't you let us know what's uh, what's come across your desk this week? Yeah, speaking of Annette Olsen, uh, another album that she's doing with Russell Allen is due out um, on September 9th. Uh, it's called Army of Dreamers, and I think they released their first sing- uh, single by the same name. All the tracks are written by Magnus Carlson, who I am just an absolute fanboy for. I, his ability to write catchy, like melodic songs are just second to none, in my opinion. So I look forward to that album. And uh, the new Elevati single, Itis, A-I-D-U-S, was released earlier this week. And if you liked their last album, this is more of the same from them. Really, really good. And if this is an indication for what the album is going to be like, it's going to be one of the stronger albums, I think, um, of the year. I, un- unclear, I think, at this point as to when the new album is coming out. But uh, if it's this year, keep an eye on that for sure. And just one other thing that I had, I think, mentioned to you briefly, maybe off the air. I, I think I may have mentioned it one or two times on the air. But a, a-, a band called Zaon, X-A-O-N, is back with their third album. It's called The Lethian. Um, this is symphonic death metal at its absolute finest. This album, I'd be lying if I hadn't been playing it on repeat. Basically, it was images and words, and this album, back and forth and back and forth all week. I think I've probably played it four or five times. It is way up there for my album of the year um, nominee. And I don't know where it will wind up, but I have to think at this point it would be in the top 10. Just a really, really solid release. Very catchy, very symphonic, almost in like an epica type of way. Um, And the contrast between the growling vocals and the cleans is just absolutely fantastic. This album I cannot say enough good things about, and I will definitely uh, post one one of their tracks this week. I know I had sent it to you, strongly strongly recommended listening on my part yeah i I listened to the one track you sent me and it's um in spite of the the heavy vocals um definitely good stuff Uh, you you throw that symphonic element in there and i could listen to just about anybody sing along so i look forward to hearing the entire album no no question um but you have selected a fantastic choice i'm a little surprised it took us this long but i guess you know, we, we covered Falling into Infinity first, so we obviously did this in, in no particular order whatsoever. Uh, but here we are, Dream Theater's Images and Words, which came out 30 years ago on July 7th, 1992. I would ask you why you selected this album, but I, I think it's quite obvious. My first question for you, though, is do you recall what the first song that you heard off of this album was? I have to think it was on one of those mixtapes, but do you remember what your first exposure to the band was? To be honest with you, that one of the weirdest things about that initial mixtape that Ralph made for me is that it did not have any Dream Theater songs on it. And so they were kind of this band that I'd heard of, but didn't really know anything by. Um, and I bought Falling Into Infinity when it came out. And I bought Awake right around the same time. I can't recall which one I bought first, but those were my first two 
Dream Theater albums. And then the next, the next one I got was Images and Words. And I remember it very clearly because I got Images and Words and Streets by Sabotage for Christmas. And it was like two of, they would go on to be like two of my favorite albums ever. And I listened to the crap out of both of them, but it's probably fair to say that Pull Me Under was the first song that I heard, but I think Take the Time would be the first song that blew me away. Um, but I remember very clearly getting this album and being really excited because I had Awake and Falling into Infinity, but all the Dream Theater fans that I knew, all, all three of them at the time, were like, Images and Words, that's the one. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, Scenes from a Memory hasn't come out yet. So, um, yeah, this was, uh, believe it or not, the third Dream Theater album that I got. Do you remember... Out of your birth as a Dream Theater fan? It was definitely after Falling Into Infinity. It was definitely before Scenes from a Memory. But the order of which I heard this stuff, I, I don't recall. I think Take the Time was the first song with Pull Me Under, probably second. Uh, but I don't really remember. I just rem- remember hearing those songs in some way, shape, or form and running out to buy this disc and then I subsequently bought Awake right like with a week later or something like that because I just had to hear more of this band. And I, I think Awake is actually a really interesting discussion in and of itself. So I'm not going to get too far in the weeds there. But there's an argument for, for that being just an absolutely like perfect album in many ways. Just different than Images and Words. Yeah. yeah darker. Different. Darker. Darker. But um, Heavier too. Heavier, darker, but really, really good and, and, and very, very different. I think... I think the reason I bought Awake was because that's what they had at the store. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if they had images and words, because I remember I bought it, like, a, like I walked into the store and walked up to the Dream Theater area, and I think I, the options were Falling Into Infinity, which I already had, I believe, and Awake. And so I just bought Awake, and um, I think I had asked for images and words for Christmas from my parents or a relative or something. Cause that's when I got it. Um, so maybe it was harder to find at the time, maybe cause awake was a little bit newer. Um, I just don't remember seeing it in the store all the time. Otherwise I probably would have bought it sooner. Yeah. It's it's, and it's funny because it's an album that's not hard to get. It was an album that you could actually go to the store and pick up. If it was in stock, it was not like us trying to track down master of the rings by Halloween, which like wasn't sold anywhere except the one place that it was sold, which we'll get to another time. But it, it was, you know, it was really, really hard to find um, certain albums, but Dream Theater was, was, was accessible. Now, when Dream and Day Unite was a bit of a, uh, a search, and I, I remember eventually tracking that down, I think, on the internet and, and being able to buy a copy of that. But getting, getting these subsequent albums uh, up until that point was, was not very difficult. But, you know, it's funny, even though, even though they were kind of, on the Falling Infinity tour when I was um, becoming a huge fan, it, that was not the album that that kind of hooked me. This this and Awake were, were the albums that hooked me. And then I would obviously buy the A Change of Seasons EP, and that was like life-changing because to this day, that is my favorite song by anyone. I, I've yet to find a song that I love more than than A Change of Seasons. So it's it's just interesting because I'm at like, the height of my fandom. And then they come out with this other gem with scenes from a memory. And it was just like when you didn't think they could get any better because they had reached their pinnacle, they at least made an album that was worthy of consideration. Now 
I'll get to that story in a little bit in terms of which, you know, which, what my favorite album is or, or what have you. But the fact that they were able to kind of come out with Falling Into Infinity, which we, we've talked about in the archives, it was one of the first albums we covered, very experimental. And then they released Sins From a Memory, which was essentially the closest thing that they would ever do to images and words. It's different. It's a little more technical, but it's the closest thing they would obviously do. And it was obviously based on uh, Metropolis part one, the song, but it was just an amazing progression that they were able to kind of go back to that sound. And one of the things that I wanted to mention was that when we bought scenes from a memory in 1999, images and words had come out seven years prior. And it seemed to me at the time that it was like this old album that like was in the archives of, of dream theater, even though I was obviously playing it nonstop, but in retrospect, now that it's 30 years old, it, it had just come out for all intents and purposes when we were becoming big fans around 98, 99. And then here we are, you know, 23 years later and, and celebrating its 30th anniversary. It's absolutely bananas. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. I, I have such fond memories of going to the, the mall the day scenes from a memory came out and meeting the band and like it was what a crazy day but uh we'll, I, we'll, we'll cover that story when we do scenes and yeah sure at some point and we will. it's funny because i remember like having conversations with you and nick and ryan when we were in high school like arguing over what was better images and words or scenes from a memory and i was always uh team images and words um maybe scenes from memory because it was newer, but I, I'd be curious to see what everybody thinks of it now with rose colored glasses. But uh, I, I'll, I'll probably reveal by the end of this, which one I, I prefer, but um, yeah, this is, this is uh, like I mentioned last week, there were so many people just posting about this album um, when dream theater, I guess posted that it was the 30th anniversary and there's so many so many like people in both power metal and prog metal, I think were inspired by this album. And, and when you think about that, you know, the first album dream theater released, which was uh, three years prior to this when dream and day unite, I mean, these, these songs, their albums are nothing alike. I mean, the, the production, the, the, the improvement in production from that first album to this second album is unbelievable. And, on top of that, you have a much more, I, I think, seasoned vocalist in uh, James Labrie replacing Charlie Dominici. Um, I mean, the, I think the timing was just right for everything to fall into place with, with this album's release in 1992. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people will credit like Operation Mindcrime and those early Fates Warning albums as like the, the, the beginning of prog metal, right? Taking over from what Rush had been doing and obviously other prog rock bands, but that this would kind of push things to the next level. I think there's an argument to be made that Dream Theaters, when Dream and Day Unite, and then definitely Images and Words were really the first prog metal albums. Not that Fate's Warning wasn't doing it with No Exit and, and stuff like that, but they real. I mean, but when you listen to this, this is just a whole nother level of, of, quote unquote Prague. And and what's interesting to me is I, I as I went back and listened to this time and time again, I feel like every single Prague band that plays in this type of a style is basically just mimicking images and words. You want to talk about like a quintessential album. 
almost every prog band is like trying to mimic this album or at least has been for 30 years. And I'm not suggesting that it's a clone necessarily, but think of how many prog bands have come and gone and you could say, oh, that sounds like Dream Theater. Well, yeah, it sounds like Dream Theater and chances are it probably tried to sound like this album. Uh, you can't can't argue with any of that. I mean, it's absolutely true. Um, I feel like nowadays the album's old enough where I don't think people are trying as hard to to re-emulate this. Um, I mean, Dream Theater, I think, is such a totally different band themselves nowadays. Um, you know, if you... I, I lost my love of Dream Theater's, like, current material probably sometime after... Uh, probably six degrees of inner turbulence was probably the last album I really, really loved by dream theater. Um, I've always followed them, but it just, ne- whatever it is, like their albums just never really blew me away after that, the way that pretty much all the albums up until that point totally did. They lost yeah. me with train of thought. I mean, I that one, that, that was agree. where, yeah, that's where I lost my lost. That's where I lost my smile. when it comes yeah. to <laughs> I, I have to agree in a couple of in a couple of things. Number one, I was a big fan of Six Degrees. I think that's a fantastic album. I think that when they came out with Train of Thought, I hated it. And I remember driving to, to college to class and playing Train of Thought when it first came out. And I'm like, ooh, this is this is not what I was hoping for. And I know they were trying to go for that heavy commercial sound, but they like kind of never regained their their traction for me because after that album, it seemed like they were writing complex material for the sake of writing complex material. And the joy that I get out of images and words, and I'll get to this, the joy that I get is because at the end of the day, you can still tell the song was the key and the, for lack of a better word, the masturbatory stuff was just around the song where it would eventually become the focus of the song instead of the song itself, if that makes sense any sense and although i have to say i've listened to every album since then i've liked albums since then i haven't loved an album since six degrees um but you want to talk about a run of albums and and i'll throw when dream and day unite into the mix those first five or six albums are just um one incredible journey after another and and we'll obviously quibble over which one is the best but this one is right there at the top of the list uh, yeah, again, like really, really well said. Um, I'm just looking, it's kind of interesting that um, in 2015, uh, the website Prague Report listed the 50 top uh, progressive rock albums from 1990 to 2015, and five of those were Dream Theater albums, and this wow. one was number one. Um, Scenes from a Memory was third, Six Degrees was 14th, Awake was 18th, and Train of Thought was 38th. So, I mean, that's some some good company. Um, Rolling Stone ranked it the 95th uh, greatest metal album of all time in 2017. Um, It was ranked number seven on Guitar World Magazine's top 10 list of guitar albums of 1992. Uh, (laughs) Under the Glass Moon was awarded the 98th best guitar solo by (laughs) About.com. That's obviously um, a very scientific study right there. Yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, and then and, they, and the album won Loudwire's fan-voted March Metal Madness Award for Best Metal Album Ever. So, um, I mean, and that's just a handful of, um, of accolades. The album sold 
500,000 or has sold 500,000 copies in the US, which makes it a gold record. Um, and it's sold a uh, hundred thousand in Japan, which, um, makes it a gold record there as well. Um, you have to think if this album comes out five years earlier, I mean, it, it, you know, we look back on it and dream theater is kind of a pretty big deal now, but they, I don't know that they were as big of a deal when this album was released because metal was kind of dead in this country at this point. Like this is, this album is coming out the year after, uh, you know, uh, Nevermind by Nirvana and this, this onslaught of this, uh, grunge movement that kind of slow, you know, pretty quickly killed metal dead in this country. Um, so for this to come out and, and for pull me under to actually get some airplay on MTV, um, I mean, I just think about like this album came out in 1987 or something. But what was a it, huge deal it would have been on, you know, Headbangers Ball and everything like that. So, see, and I'm not so sure about that because on by the same token, when, when everybody was listening to the kind like the hair metal with like Poison and Warrant and and all those types of bands, Slaughter, all those bands in the late 80s and you know 1990, 91. Would they have been open to, to something like this? Because it sounds nothing like those bands. And it was almost like it was part of the popularity might have been because Nevermind had just hit that anyone looking for an alternative. And I don't mean it's funny to use the word alternative, right, for, for grunge, but to, an alternative to grunge. This is the antithesis of grunge. It couldn't be more complex in a sense. I don't know if the world would have been ready for it in 87. Maybe. Oh, they, I, I were ready, they were ready for mind crime. So that's true. I mean, that's a good point. They were ready for mind crime. So yeah, it's, you know what? Maybe if this comes out in 89, a year after mind crime, maybe they become the biggest band in the world. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's astounding how well they did in 1992, given what the state of metal was like, because, you know, by 91, it was all but over and bands that were, I, I mean, I read a book on this. They, 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 they were bands that were signed and getting ready to play arena tours and then Nevermind came out and they basically p- took them from an arena and stuck them in a club with 200 people. And this is, they're getting ready to play arenas with 15,000 people and they just, oh, it's seemingly overnight. It changed everything. It, it, it's just an absolute wild, wild time. But we are uh, blessed, I guess, in one sense that we can go back and actually listen to this album. And, and let me tell you something. It holds up. It holds up. The last time I listened to this was when they toured for the... 25th anniversary in 2017 they would wind up playing a a string of live shows i caught the show on long island and the entire second set was images and words and then the encore of a change of seasons which was actually meant to be on this album and i'll talk about that a, a little bit later but the fact of the matter is it's not an album that i go back to very often just because i think i played it i don't know 10,000 times but let me tell you something it holds up and I could listen to this album every day and I would never get tired of it. This is, I mean, this is, this is a masterpiece. Uh, I, it's incredible how, I don't know if the album's ever been remastered or remixed. Probably not. Cause it didn't need to be. I mean, certain I was songs listening. were, certain songs were, they came out with the greatest hits album. Oh, right. Yep. No, no, not no, the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I'm listening to my original disc that I've, you know, ripped to, to my iTunes or whatever. And I mean, the, the, the production values on this album are, are insane. Um, especially if you go back and listen to when dream and day unite, which is kind of a, 
kind of a rough sounding album, a little bit tinny. I mean, even when it was remastered, it still didn't sound that great. I mean, there's some really, really great songs on that album, but, um, just sonically it, 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 this album blows that out of the water. And I think that, I mean, there's a, there's something to be said. There's an argument to be made that this might be dream theater's best sonically sounding album. Everything just comes together so well. All of the, the members of the band sound so distinct and, and they're so good. Everybody on this band is such a, is so good at what they do. Um, I mean, I, Labrie is at his peak as a vocalist. I mean, he literally peaked that year, I think. And then it was just been a steady <laughs> decline since. Um, I mean, Petrucci, one of the greatest guitarists ever. Mayong, one of the greatest bass players ever. Kevin Moore, who, uh, what is he, an accountant now or something like that? Or, he's a doctor. He's a do- doctor, Kevin Moore. Paging Dr. Moore. Um, <laughs> I always preferred this, this short period of time that Kevin Moore was the keyboard player for Dream Theater because I think that, like you said, there was more focus on the songwriting and less on the sh- like showing off what the instruments can do. Um, and I think that Kevin Moore was more... Um, more subtle than Jordan Rudis would end up being. Uh, you know, Rudis is, is the equivalent of a, a, a wizard uh, on the keyboard. And Kevin Moore is just a little bit more understated. And I think I prefer that um, it, because like it gets to be almost like circ- like a circus, like atmosphere musically. And I feel like with this, um, you know, I, I just, you know, Portnoy on drums, like one of the greatest drummers ever. I mean, this is just, this is like a super band just of guys that, we're never in any other bands before this that that you know mattered. Um, you know, no no offense to uh, to Winter Rose, um, but um, it's just this unbelievable lineup, and, and like the the lineup managed to rise above such crappy production on that first album. But with this, this is like that perfect marriage of, of an amazing studio sound with really high-end musicians and just James Libri sounding the best that he ever did. Like just uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. And then on top of all that, you have these songs that like the songwriting is so good. And there's just enough of that, like tech, technical side of things in songs like take the time and learning to live where you really hear some like really cool uh, Metropolis part one as well. Really cool solos, really cool keyboard solos, guitar solos, bass solos. It's but then but also the music is 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 catchy and and it has those hooks that as a power metal fan like this was so easy for me to just get into immediately. So like I I, I as much as I always like Prague over or power over Prague I should say, you know, this is one of those albums that I think is a total exception where I love every second of it from start to finish. It's just it's just that good. And that's why part of the reason I chose it, I mean, not just because it's been 30 years, but just because it's my one of my favorite albums ever. You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't really love the analogy I'm going to make, but I think it's worth making because it illustrates the point. I've never dabbled with drugs, but from what I understand and from what I've been told, the problem with heroin 
is that once you take it, you have such a euphoric high that you keep going back to the drug because you want that high that you had the first time. But the problem is you keep taking more and more because you never achieve that same first high. In many ways, this is like the worst album to start with as a prog metal fan because you keep wanting to chase the high from this album. And I'm not sure that you can ever get there again. In other words, what's come out after this that is this album? Now, yes, some would argue Scenes from a Memory. And for a long time, I was one of the people that said Scenes from a Memory is actually a better album. I don't really think that anymore. And I think I've actually done a 180. This is the best prog metal album of all time. And I, I, I'm, I'm putting aside Mind Crime, which I told you was a top three album. We've talked about that in the archives. I just don't consider that a prog metal album in the same way that I consider this a prog, you know, a prog metal album. It's a little bit different, but if not, they're, they're right there is, you know, one A and one B. But the, the highs from this album, no matter what came after it, it's not images and words. It's great. It might be perfect in its own way, but it's not images and words. I, I am not a much, like enough of a prog like expert to, to say that this is the greatest prog metal album of all time. But I will say that this is my favorite prog metal album of all time. And I don't know that anything even touches it. I mean, Maybe Mercy Falls comes pretty close. Maybe, maybe Scenes from a Memory. Um, maybe even Awake. Um, but, uh, I'm sure there's probably a Fate's Warning album. Um, but like, this is perfection. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would stand by you and saying this is the, uh, by proxy, I will, I will claim that this is the greatest. <laughs> prog metal album ever because you know better than me but um it's definitely without a doubt it's not even it's not even a conversation this is my my favorite prog metal album period and and i don't know if it'll ever be topped you know let i would probably put eternity x as the edge in that conversation as well which we've talked about um but but it took us 104 105 episodes to talk about what we considered possibly the greatest prog metal album of all time which is pretty wild well can't can't i mean had to do falling into infinity first so that's number one i know well i I chose that album just because i thought it would be an interesting conversation because of how divisive people are about that album which this is the opposite of divisive this is no there's there's nobody pretty much yeah, everybody pretty much feels one way about this album. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that it wasn't great. Now, it may not be their favorite, but I, I don't think anybody's ever heard this and said, oh, this is less than great or stellar or perfect. I mean, it's just that good. Let, let's just get into it. Um, you know, Pull Me Under is their big MTV hit. And, and I'll be honest, there was a period of time where I actually got sick of this song. I acknowledge that it's great, but I got sick of it because I played it so much. And so there was a time where I would almost skip this song and just start with another day, which I know sounds bananas, but I just got sick of the song. But having not heard it in five years and having not played it a lot at all over the last probably 10 or 12 years, I love it again. It is such a banger and it is such a uh, catchy song, even with the triggered drum sounds, which bother a lot of drummers. It did not bother me at all. Um, it's just a fantastic track. It takes you on a journey. And the only thing I can say about it is arguably it's better as a closing song than an opener. But 
you can't replace learning to live as the closer. So it had to open the album. And, and I never will forget the first time I heard it thinking that like the, my CD screwed up because it just stops so <laughs> abruptly at the end. And it's, and I know it's coming and I know it's going to stop. And yet it's still jarring to me every time. And then all of a sudden they go into another day. It's, it's wild. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and, and whether or not it still holds up. And I have a feeling it probably does. Uh, I mean, I felt the same way about it. I was like, why, why did it just end like that? Like I, I it was, it really caught me off guard. Um, yeah, I felt the same way. I was so, I, I think I just played the, the crap out of it to the yeah. point where I didn't want to hear it anymore, which is weird because I did the same thing with take the time, but for whatever reason, that was one of those songs that I could just never, ever get sick of. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm looking back on some of my old mixtapes and, and, um, the first one that I made after the one that, uh, Ralph gave us, um, has songs from volume to infinity on it. Um, so I, and now I go, you know, I go to the third one. Now the third tape I made, Pull Me Under is the first track on it, followed by Jesus Saves. So um, you could tell that must have been right after I got those two albums for Christmas that year. And um, and uh, also Metropolis Part 1 was also on Side B. Um, and then Take the Time was on the next tape that I made. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like this, this album, you know, or I should say the song, Pull Me Under, was just... Uh, you know, I loved it at the time, but I think maybe because of its commercial nature, I got kind of sick of it. But um, I probably stopped listening to it for so long that now it's like, you know, what's old is new again. And um, I like it a lot. Again, it's I think there's a number of songs I like more from this album, but this is still a really good thing, a really good song. And I think that I couldn't imagine the album starting with any other song because like, like you said, learning to live is the perfect way to end the album. And arguably I think Metropolis or under a glass moon would have been good songs to end the album with as well. But pull me under like that, the way that the song just starts, like that's, that's the first song. It's always going to be the first song. It just needed to be, it just, it's just perfect. Well, it's interesting because after it abruptly ends, we go into another day. And the funny thing about another day is it's probably the only song on the album, which at one time or another, wasn't my favorite song on the album. Like literally, I think every one of these songs has been my favorite song on images and words, except for another day. But that being said, another day is a perfect ballad. It's a ballad with a Jay Beckenstein soprano sax solo, which is just absolutely bananas. And it always reminded me of Kenny G for some reason, because <laughs> how many songs, how many prog metal songs have that kind of sax solo in there? Um, and, and I think that of all the songs, maybe it's the weakest, but I still like it more than most people. And there's a vocal solo that Labrie does probably about, I don't know, halfway through the song and it just shows off his awesome range. And to your point, I think he blew out his voice during this tour and he never quite got it back. And that's upon, you know, stuff that I've heard, but around 1993, he blew it out and it was just never the same again. And it's a shame because his, a young James Labrie on this album was just absolutely perfect. And I'll just say one other thing about, about this track. When I saw them play scenes from a memory, uh, at the at the show they recorded, Scenes from New York, Jay Beckenstein came out and played this song as part of the second set. And it was just so good to hear that song live with the soprano sax solo. Um, still, 
one of, if not the best concert I've ever been to that, that scenes from a New York um, live show. And this was one of the highlights. Yeah. Um, is this like the first prog metal power ballad? <laughs> prog ballad, if you will. Um, Could be. I, I always thought this was just a really, just a really nice song, like a really kind of, it's like just a really nice ballad kind of tune. I think that being that, on either end of it, you have these eight plus minute like prog anthems. I think this is kind of a nice kind of like calm before calm after and calm before the storm of, of pull me under and take the time. And and I find that this album does such a amazing job taking you on this roller coaster of like, you know, song types because, you know, pull me under is, is, is fast and heavy. Another day is, is kind of a ballad. Take the time is, is, is fast and heavy surrounded is more of a mid, it starts out kind of ballady, more of a mid tempo metropolis under a glass moon or, are fast and heavy. Wait for sleep is a quick ballad. Learning to live is like this prog lesson. It's like a, a, a clinic. Um, so it's cool that it's not just an hour of, of just like wild, you know, outlandish prog. It's, it, there's some good, like softer, you know, it's the Kenny G, <laughs> the Kenny G of metal, I guess. Like you said. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, this is such a great great tune. Um, we had said like picking a song of the week is like is a impossibility because I don't know that there's any one that doesn't really deserve it on this album. They're yeah. all that good. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is great. This is a great song. Um, I love the song, and uh, it's just I, I think I like it more now than I ever did. Now listening to it again, just really. Yeah, just because I feel like it, it. When we were younger, it's like you're drawn to the the flashier tunes, you know. It, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you're younger and you want to like drive a sports car, and now and then you get older and you're like, oh, I'd rather drive something a little more reliable. So I I, I like the reliable, and I still like flashy. Take the time and under glass moon, but I mean like, you know. I don't know. This this song, I think, just uh, really holds up. And you're right. Like, Labrie's vocals, especially the second half of the song. <laughs> he probably blew his voice out recording this song. In <laughs> Entirely possible. Uh, and to your point, it's, it's, it's the come down before Take the Time, which is track three. The, the only thing I can say about this is this is a perfect prog metal song. Like 
perfect. There's every single note is so meticulously placed, but every note has its purpose. I love the intro. I love um, that the bass finally John Mayung's bass jumps out here for the first time on the album, and boy does it ever jump out! It's heavy, it's proggy, it's quirky. At points, you actually want to dance, you want to sing, you want to shout. It's just an epic song with an epic chorus. That melodic instrumental section is just so catchy. And then it mellows out before like this epic finish. And the guitar solo at the end that kind of takes you out is one of my absolute favorite guitar solos by anyone on any album. Um, I want this to be the song of the week, but I can't decide yet. I have to kind of continue to talk about it because this is up there with one or two others for, for definite contender. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I said, I had said when we talked about Halloween's keeper of the seven keys albums, that Eagle fly free was the greatest power metal song ever written. This is the greatest prog metal song ever written. I mean, it's just, it's, it's everything that's great about prog metal without, what the things that I don't like about prog metal and it's long, it's an eight minute song, but at no point does it feel like there's, like you said, there's no wasted sound. Like it's every, everything is great. Um, I, when I discovered this song after getting this album, I was obsessed with it. And I remember I Ryan's one of Ryan's parents were driving us to a sweet 16. And I remember saying, I had the disc with me and I was like, put this on (laughs) and play track three right now. Like you need to hear this. And this was, I think before Ryan had heard this album and I was just like, I I was, I was flabbergasted. I was like, I can't believe like that you could make a song like this. It's just so good. Um, And and to, and it's, again, it's like, I, I think I said the same thing about Eagle fly free. I could listen to this a million times and I would never get tired of it. Um, I don't know, but like, there's also other songs on this album that I hold in, in just as high regard. I just think that this is the epitome of of prog metal in, in all of its all of its wonderful wondrous glory. Um, but I don't. I'm the same way as you. I don't know what my song of the week is just yet, but I may base it on what you choose, so as to not choose the same one. I will make a point of going first then. And I hope you choose something different just because it gives me the ability to listen to each of those songs again uh, when, when I post them. Um, track four is, to me, You're Another Day. And that's Surrounded. And the reason I say that is because this was always a song that I liked. But as I listen to it now, I think I have a deeper appreciation now more than ever. This is a song that was perfectly tailored to Labrie's vocals at the time. And I think one could argue that overall – because of the versatility of his vocals on this track, it might be his best vocal performance of all time. Like, it's that good. It starts off like a true ballad, and then when it starts picking up, it's so, so tight and melodic, and the lyrics are just so beautiful. And what I love here is that Kevin Moore's keyboards are so, uh, such a nice complimentary piece to the rest of the song. He doesn't take over, but you, I cannot imagine a song like this without Kevin Moore playing. And and I agree with you. Rudis is a wizard and there's nothing that he cannot play and play well. But here, I think Kevin Moore kind of takes a step back and provides a perfect compliment to Portnoy and Petrucci and Mayung. 
it's just an absolute perfect song that every time I hear it, I want to tap my foot to it. And, and like I said, the lyrics are just simply beautiful. Yeah, it, it kind of starts out, like I said before, it starts out like you're going to get a, a ballad, but it actually kind of picks up. Um, I, you know, it's funny because like I never really thought too much about this so- song back back when. And I remember, um, you know, Ralph had gone to Italy and he came back and he 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 got this uh, dream, this this dream theater tribute album called Voices and it had, I think it was almost entirely European bands, but um, there was a, a cover of the song by this band called CMKY. And it was sung by um, a female vocalist. I have no idea. I, I don't know if the band ever even did anything beyond this solo, this, this tribute album, but I thought hearing this song sung by, with, with a female vocalist was such a cool, just total change. And, and, it really made me appreciate how good the song is. And now that I go back and listen to it again, um, it, it's, it's fantastic. Another one of the, the kind of more mellower songs on the album, but, um, you know, perfect fit. Again, it, it's another kind of stopgap between Take the Time and Metropolis Part 1, which are two, like, prog metal beasts. And this is just this kind of, like, more chill but i mean even like with like a minute and a half to go like there's some fast guitar work and um there's still some you know some technical stuff going on here but um perfectly placed i think in between these two like real monster tracks yeah and and quite frankly if if it's one of those songs where if they were just to break out one song from this album in in an odd way you might almost choose surrounded because it's kind of like an oddball track that it's not one of the most popular tracks but it just it holds up well so uh I'm I'm definitely a fan now now as much uh, as ever but yeah metropolis part 1 i mean the, the this song was so good that they would obviously go on to make scenes from a memory based on the based on the story it is such an epic tune and so catchy and a fan favorite that, you know the crowd goes nuts when they when they break this out and they play it um Whereas my young kind of really stood out on take the time. And I thought Kevin Moore really stood out on surrounded. This to me is the Mike Portnoy show. He is brilliant on this track. And some of these drum fills are just so um, catchy and melodic, but again, perfectly placed. Um, I, I can't imagine having a better extended instrumental section than than the one in this song it's like just absolutely flawless and everyone does a solo and they're all fantastic the bass solo was great the guitar solo was great the the keyboard solo was great and even though the song is like you know kind of i don't know in almost 10 minutes it feels like five it feels like half of that because there's no wasted motion or wasted breath easily another song of the week contender right here. Um, I- I'm curious to see if you have any differing thoughts. I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Um, it- it's, I think it's like neck and neck with take the time. Just maybe I consider take the time higher because it came first. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, right. you know, like it's just that it happens to be first on, you know, before this, but this is, I think is just as good. Um, it really takes you through like this, this story, like a musical story. And, and it makes sense that they would make a sequel to a song that was an entire album. Um, 
yeah, this is just another really like epic prog metal. It's probably this is the second greatest prog metal song of all time. <laughs> um, it, it would be um, it would be very very easy for me to choose both of those as my song of the week, but. I had a bit of an epiphany while you were speaking, and I'm actually going to go with Under a Glass Moon. Now, I'm going to explain why. Of all the tracks on the album, this forget the album. Of all the tracks in their discography, I think this might be their most underrated one. And you might say, "Well, how is that possible?" For some reason, it's not talked about in the same breath as "Take the Time" or "Metropolis" or "Learning to Live" or even "Pull Me Under." But this might be their best track. It might be the best track on the album. I, I, debatable. I, I still probably go "Take the Time," but I have become such a fan of this track, and I just love how it starts off one way completely goes off the rails. I mean, like completely goes into a hundred different directions and then ends the way that it starts. It's like everything coming full circle. I have no idea what the lyrics are about. To this day, I still have no idea. But for some reason, the imagery that it creates is fantastic. And the whole song is just complete organized chaos. And I love it. It, A beautiful guitar solo in the middle, followed by one of Kevin Moore's best solos on the album, I love this track, and I'll just tell you one quick story about it before I let you jump in. I saw, or I should say I was given a promo copy of um, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence about a week before it was released, and Dream Theater did a show at B.B. King's, a venue in New York City that probably holds, I don't know, four or 500 people, a really small club, and they were kind of doing it as like a release show for the album, and at the time, I had no idea what the band was going to play in terms of a set list, right? Because, you know, they, are they going to just do, you know, six degrees in its entirety? Are they going to play any of the old stuff? We have no idea. So they, they get on stage, they play all of the glass prison, which I had, I was one of the few people, maybe the only person in the crowd that had heard the song at that point, because the album had not come out yet. And I lost my mind because that is just a fantastic, fantastic live song. And then they go into Under a Glass Moon and I completely marked out because I just, it was, it was not only their way of saying, yeah, we're going to play a a full set of, you know, whatever the hell they were going to play that night, but it was so cool to hear, to hear this track live. I had never heard it live before. Um, It it is a memory that will stick out and and continues to resonate with me because I can just remember that hearing the first notes to Under a Glass Moon after the Glass Prison and, and just being on for the ride of my life at this small club show that they were doing. It's a lot of glass. <laughs> For sure. Um, so similar story. Um, when I had when I went to see the 25th anniversary of, of this album, um, the, the tour, this was the song I was most looking forward to hearing from this album um, because it's the one that 
I kind of fell in love with later on the same way you did. Um, I, I, I think uh, we talk about it. It's just like the, um, the, the fatigue of, of having such strong songs early on on an album. And I think, you know, as a kid, it's like you, you're already blown away by pull me under and take the time in Metropolis part one. And it's kind of like, all right. Um, the, 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 I, I'm with you. Like this was, this metropolis and take the time were my three-way tie for song of the week um so i'm i'll go with take the time since you went with under glass moon but if you had chosen take the time i probably would have chosen under glass moon myself Um, i'm just happy i get to listen to both again next week yeah i mean in all honesty like i was tempted to just say the song of the week is this whole album just go and listen to the whole damn thing because you're not doing it justice by listening to two tracks i know it's true i mean even though the two tracks are going to take 16 minutes out of your day <laughs> listen to the whole friggin' album it's just that good i mean if you haven't heard it in a while if you listen to it yesterday i listened to it earlier today i might listen to it again tomorrow i don't know i mean it's like i was saying about Hel- uh, halloween's keeper of the seven keys part two it's just one of those albums that's just uh, uh, so important in the history of of metal and and especially prog metal and it just it just is is fantastic and I love I I I, I always I just will always remember how excited I was to hear Under a Glass Moon and even though you know they I think that they had to kind of like lower things like uh, half an octave or an octave or whatever to just to, to support Labrie in the moment. In that crowd, Labrie sounded great. It was when I went back and like watched the videos that I took. I was like, "Oh!" Um, but when you're in that moment and the other, you really hear like the other instruments, and it, it, you don't notice that he's not the singer that he used to be. And I really enjoyed the hell out of that. I, I, I was kind of going into it with low expectations, but um, you know, the band is as good as they've ever been. So like the musicianship was never to be questioned i just was you know a little nervous about how labrie was going to do on these older songs but i i enjoyed the hell out of it and and getting to hear all those solos done live for under a glass moon like you said like that was such a treat um and same with um learning to live too which is such a long and complicated song um so that was really cool to to see live as well um just uh whew, just uh just just a under glass moon hell of a song um, yeah, and, and somehow still, like I said, underrated in, in the pantheon of, of their stuff. Wait for Sleep was always, to me, like the learning to live intro. And in many ways, I think it just shows off Kevin Moore's brilliance and how different he is um, from Jordan Rudis. Just a beautiful piano-led song, short little song, featuring him, him and Labrie. But I can't imagine the album without it. Like, it's not really a standalone track per se. I, I don't put on the album and say, oh, I'm going to listen to, to wait for sleep today. Uh, but that leading up to learning to live is, is just prog perfection. Yeah. Again, it, it's another, it's another track that's just placed perfectly because it's like, you need a, the end of under a glass moon is so frenetic. And so like, you need a little bit of a, it's like a palate cleanser. It's like having a little bit of uh, sorbet before your next course, you know, to cleanse the palate before, you know, learning to live, is another one where it kind of starts off a little bit unassuming and then eventually grows into like this real beast of a song. But yeah, this is just a really lovely, um, just, just a, a 
a platform for, for Kevin and, and James to just shine. And um, just, I mean, probably one of, you know, it's funny. I always like, I think about like when um, wrestling people would like rate matches on a scale of five, like up to five stars or whatever. And they would be like, Oh, well, you know, it was good while it lasted, but it was only a five minute match. So I can't really give it more than like two stars. This is like one of those songs. It's only two and a half minutes long, but it's such a great song. Like they put a lot of greatness into a, a small period of time, and it's funny how Dream Theater has become known as kind of like this band that can drag out a song, you know, from like from a Six Degrees to an Octavarium to to like I mean the the whole friggin' Astonishing album, um, and then they could also just cram a perfect little like lullaby into a two and a half minute song right before they blow your socks off with another like prog metal you know clinic. Um, it's just really well, just a really well placed song, and and it's uh, the album would be incomplete without it. Exactly, I, I well well said. I, I couldn't agree more. And then somehow they, you know, you have seven dare I say perfect songs in a row that they really can't lay an egg at the end, and they don't because learning to live is up there with the best of them. It's eleven and a half minutes long. It is. It's got everything you basically everything you want from the other tracks, but in one closing track, it, it's to me it always felt a little bit different than the rest of the album, and I can't tell you why. I don't. Maybe it was like the calypso section or something like that, um, or or the acoustic flamingo guitar, which is awesome, but it's just very different. Um, I, I can't explain it, but it feels different than the rest of the album. But it belongs just the same and then the last four minutes is just one huge payoff after another it's like one high spot after another and i including a nod to wait for sleep where, where they basically just go right into that again i mean how did they even think to do this and then they executed perfectly it just flows seamlessly it's, it's a perfect yeah, closing song it really is i mean and, and like i said like there's a couple of songs on here that could have closed it out but i mean the balls to just be like the last song is going to be 11 and a half minutes long. Like eat me. We've already done four songs, uh, well over seven minutes long. And, and it's just like that we don't care. Um, you know, they probably could have like broken it into parts. Maybe it is broken into parts. I don't know. I haven't looked at the liner notes since I was like a teenager, but, um, it starts out like this mid tempo song. And then it like chills out in the middle. And then it jumps back, like slowly crescendos back into like this beast of a song. And there's just a million fantastic solos and Labrie's just sounds fantastic. And then, and then the last, and then there's like this, just, it's like a two minute outro. Like it's yeah. just the end of the song is like two minutes long. And it's like, you're just hanging on every note. Like it's, and then, Oh my God, it's just perfect. end to a perfect album. 10 out of 10. This is a 10 album. I mean, I don't know that that should be a real big surprise, but this is this album is an easy 10. It might even be higher. This might be a Dave Meltzer six-star Kenny Omega Okada match at, at the Tokyo Dome. It, it is absolutely a 10. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Did you know this was supposed to be a two-CD album? Did you know? Do you know this story? Uh, not deeply. Um you know, it's kind of probably the same amount that I know about Streets supposed to be a supposedly being a two disc album initially. But uh, I, all I know is that um, 
that uh, what's it uh, change of seasons was supposed to be a part of all this. Yeah. So, okay. Again, I'll, I'll get the fact. This is a ten out of the way. It could be a ten. It could be a twelve. It could be a two hundred for all I care. It's a, it's 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 perfection. But the reality is this. A change of seasons, or at least an early version of it, had been written and recorded so that when they went out and they did the Images and Words tour, they actually played a change of seasons on that tour, which is why when they did the 25th anniversary show, after they played Images and Words, they closed the set with a change of seasons. This was supposed to be on this album. I don't know how this album could have been better a change of seasons would have made this album that much better. I just just to a change of seasons. Yeah, like, it, it, oh, it okay. just, it's just too. It would almost be too much of a good thing. But yeah, a change of seasons, which, like I said, my favorite song, um, and obviously reworked and, and kind of retooled a little bit. But the early versions of that of that song are very very similar to what was released on that EP. Not identical, but close enough. That was supposed to be the second side of this album. I just I, th- that blows my mind because it's I, I think that you, it's the best album of all time, arguably without that. But if you add that in, it, it, there's no close second at that point. Um, you can go back. Um, Dream Theater has a number of official bootlegs and they have the images and words demos, which span from 89 and 91. So you could actually hear other vocalists try out Um and they actually have a, a singer named Chris Sintron who does um, a vocal audition to A Change of Seasons on there. It's a yeah. 17 and a half minute track. Um, there's a song called To Live Forever, which I, I believe might have been included on the um, the uh, the Japanese live album that came out shortly after this. Um, I believe it was called Live at the Marquee. I think it was released initially in just Europe and Japan. I remember it being difficult to get in the u.s and um or maybe it was no that was um another hand uh to live forever was a ended up being a, a b-side on on the lie single but i guess that it was actually written during the the images and words sessions but um i definitely recommend checking out this uh unofficial bootleg because there's just a lot of cool stuff to hear dream theater really does a good job with these um these just, you know, either special concerts or demos or whatever. Um, but this is the images and words demos is really cool. You can hear some of the pre-production versions with with Labrie. There's some of the Atco demos. There's the um, some of the the tracks done instrumentally before. I probably I'm guessing before they even had a vocalist pegged. Right. Um, it's it's so hard to picture anyone else singing on this album. I mean, even Charlie Dominici, who was their original singer on, on it, when Dream Day Unite. I mean, does this album get the accolades it gets with John or with uh, Dominici's vocalist or with anybody know. else? I mean, I don't think so. He was just the right guy at the right time. I think. I, I I agree. It was the perfect combination. It was the right time, and I, I think the testament to the album is forget the fact that we gushed over it for over an hour. It still holds up. It's it's every bit as good as it was when I first heard it 25 years ago. It's just, it's gotten, if anything, it's gotten better with time, which you cannot say about a lot of albums. Yeah. I, I mean, that's perfectly said. I mean, it really is just, I think that some albums, there's a time where when you're younger, you just 
play it so much that you get a little tired of it. And part of the reason for that is because there's only so many albums to listen to. I mean, when we both had this album for the first time, how many other albums do you think you owned at that time? So, I mean, of course you're going to circle back to images and words fairly quickly. If you only have 10 or 11 or 12 other albums to listen to. Um, but now, you know, thousands of albums later, this is the one you go back to and it's still perfection. I mean, I, I, I'd be, I'm really looking forward to hearing some other people's uh, thoughts about this album. Um, and I'm just, I'm guessing most people hold it in high regard like we do, but I mean, we are holding it in, in kind of that rarefied air, um, that very few albums, I think. I mean, how many albums have we both gave a consensus 10 to um, in the nine, you know, 80 plus albums we've talked about? I don't, maybe, I don't know. I don't remember, honestly. Yeah, it, it, maybe Aventasia. It's the only one that I'm not even sure that that was a 10 for both of us, but this is definitely, definitely rarefied air. Um, and, and obviously a timely and fantastic choice. So thank you for giving me the excuse to listen to this 42 times in the last week. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm finding it harder and harder to decide what to pick. And so when something just pops up on social media and everybody's just like 30 years, holy shit. I was like, Oh, well that made, that made my job really easy. And, uh, I'm just, uh, kind of glad, um, we got to listen to it again. And I just, I will, will tell one funny story. Um, when I was still living on long Island, I, I was playing guitar hero world tour in my apartment. And, um, you know, I finished the game um, and and the final thing, you know, this was something that they had done in the previous game, Guitar Hero Three, where after you beat the game, whatever the story mode is, you know, the credit the credits scroll and you can play a song while the credits are rolling, and it doesn't count. Like they don't score it. You can't fail out of it. And it was through the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force, which I think somebody had like created like programmed a guitar hero version of that song because they thought, imagine this is a guitar hero song. And obviously the people at harmonics caught wind of that and decided to actually put it in the game. And then once you finish it, you can, the, the song's unlocked. You can play it whenever you want. So I'm wondering to myself playing world tour, is there going to be something like that at the end? And, and sure enough, as you're going through this game, you like recruit like all of these legends of rock to join you in your band so like your drummer is travis barker from blink 182 your bass player is sting your vocalist is ozzy and um i'm trying to remember there's probably like one other person the guitar player i don't remember it was slash or whatever so you're just the super band and the game ends and all of a sudden you're just flying through the sky on an arc and all of a sudden you just hear the opening notes to pull me under and i was like oh my god i was just marking out alone in my apartment and i'm just like i guess i'm playing pull me under on guitar hero now and i was like what a perfect way to end <laughs> this game that i had so much fun playing um so That's awesome i just i i just think about like hearing that banner and i'm like oh my god here we go so, <laughs> i can um, imagine that first time you must have like fallen out of your chair you know because you were not you could not have been expecting that it was so weird i mean it's like ozzy sting 
and uh, <laughs> and Travis Barker playing <laughs> Pull Me Under on a flying arc. <laughs> I just, mean, just the way that I dreamed it up on my LSD trip. I, I yeah. was just like, "Wow, that's that's, you don't, that's awesome." You don't forget. You don't forget a moment like that. Well, it's. Uh, Something that I will definitely not forget. I, I wish I would have played that game just because the story itself. I, it's I, never too late. Yeah, there you go. Um, while we're talking about Dream Theater, some Dream Theater news. John Petrucci is, has announced his first solo tour. And who should be drumming? Mr. Mike Portnoy. Travis Barker. Uh, oh, yeah, Travis Travis Barker. <laughs> and Chris Chris Ichi on Guitar Hero. Uh, Sting no. on bass. <laughs> um, they've announced three shows, one in Boston, one in New York City, and one in Washington, D.C., all in October. More shows to be announced. Uh, that should be good. His, his last solo album was fantastic, so I think that that will be an interesting tour. I'm sure they'll be hitting more shows, as I said. And speaking of U.S. tours, the Danish prog metal band Vola, who is – Absolutely um, fantastic and quite frankly, really kind of coming on as, as one of the players on the prog metal scene also announced a U.S. tour. It kicks off Saturday, November the 12th in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, and then ultimately winds up coming to New York, Brooklyn, New York on Tuesday, November 22nd. So it sounds like they're going to do a run for just under two weeks. Um, I will be going to the New York show. I'm very much looking forward to that. These guys are fantastic, and it should be a really, really fun show. I'm happy they're finally coming to the States. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much puts a bow on it. Um, I believe it is my turn to choose something for next week, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to listening to Awake next week. <laughs> we are doing Images and Words by Dream Theater. No, um, <laughs> uh, I, because I don't have anything else to say about it, but I just want to listen to it. No, we, we're going to do something else next week, which is another uh, classic, if you will. And if, 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 if there's a thrash metal version of Images and Words, this is in the conversation, and that's Metallica's Ride the Lightning. We have done... 105 episodes and we have not talked about Metallica yet that is that is going to change because if if these guys are the godfathers of prog metal uh, Metallica is the godfather of thrash and and it is long overdue and I feel like choosing a Metallica album was difficult but I'm going to go with what I think is their best so we're going to talk about Ride the Lightning next week yeah I was excited to see which album uh, you were going to choose by Metallica I kind of kind of assumed it was going to be this puppets or uh justice um but uh yeah i feel like this is a a band that if we continue to do this we'll probably listen to probably everything up until reload and then just give up (laughs) yeah i I think that's i think that's fair although we have had requests for saint anger yeah, but it's just, just going to say request. It's just one person requesting it that's, multiple that, times. That's that's. <laughs> but requests plural. See, I didn't. It doesn't matter what the source is. No, um, that would be an interesting conversation, just like falling into infinity, but for a completely different reason. But yeah. I mean, I don't know Saint Anger. I know the song. I like the song Saint Anger, and that's the, that's my knowledge of the album. Is well, then maybe because, we and that to, was because it was the it was the theme song to a WWF pay per view when the the album first came out. So I'd heard. 20 seconds of that song so many times I was like oh this is pretty good and then I remember getting the album and thinking to myself why the hell does this song need to be 7 minutes long Dragon Force like you, nobody asked Metallica to make a seven-minute thrash song. It's unnecessary. Like, well, they they do it in other places, and they did it on Injustice for All, and it was great. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, but like that was good. Like, this yeah. is the, this, like 
the song "Say Anger" is just the same song re- repeated over a seven-minute, you know, period of time. Whereas, you know, one, you know, one is is a, is a again is like a suite. Um, but yeah, um, I would. I mean, I'd really, especially want to talk about um, puppets and justice after "Ride the Lightning" at some point. Um, but I'm glad you chose this because there are songs that I know so well, and then there's songs I don't really know that well that um like trapped on the rice let me guess that really like escape was probably the one i knew the least um of the eight tracks um i didn't really know call of cthulhu all that well either um and trapped under ice might be the next one on the list um the rest of the album i pretty much knew um but man what a this is going to be such an interesting chat because this this was a very different band than what would happen even as soon as as six or seven years after this. Yeah, it's and I think that that's part of the reason why I chose it. I'll kind of go through my methodology, if you will, but I'll, I'll save that until uh, until next week. I, I look forward to it, and you know, it's it's interesting because I have not listened to Metallica in a long time, so it'll be a good exercise, almost a cathartic exercise for me, but. Story for another day. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed our chat about images and words, and we will come back to you next week with some uh, good old classic American thrash metal. Uh, Take it easy, bud. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, my friend. Take care.